So, we've been praying for a week and fasting. First of all, thank you. Thank you for obeying what we thought the Holy Spirit was telling us as a community and giving up either a meal every day or certain foods during the week so that we could all do this together as a community. I just want to say thank you. My personal belief is that in addition to a lot of other benefits, that this week of prayer and fasting is going to serve to deepen your relationship with the Lord. I don't want to lose what we've begun this past week. Because every time I felt like having a burger or a beer, or every time I didn't want to skip a meal, it turned my thoughts to the Lord and why we're doing this as a fellowship. And I just got to say that I think there was a deepening. There was a more frequent conversation between, between me and the Lord. And honestly, this is going to sound crazy, I know, but Christianity is all about a relationship with the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? There's a missionary in the Philippines. His name was Frank Laubach. It's funny uh, because there's actually a stamp, a U.S. postage stamp with his face on it. But it's not because he was a missionary. It's because he was really helpful in teaching Filipinos how to read. And so they think he's awesome. And so I guess the U.S. government thought he was awesome too. So they put him on a stamp. But he was down there for Jesus. And he was a disciple of uh, a monk from about 300 and so years ago that I'm really a fan of as well. That's Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. So I was a fan of Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Frank Laubach was a fan of Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. And uh, that's really great. Hey, Caesar. Chalk here downstairs if you want, just so you know. Yes, downstairs right now. Unless, of course, your kids are in the sermons, in which case. Um, so, Frank asked uh, three questions. He thought these were the three most important questions you could ask a person. And the questions were, number one, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? It's actually a great question to ask people that we work with or that we live next to, we go to school with, people we hang out with in various musical events. Do you believe in God? It's a very basic entry-level question. Do you believe in God? Let me tell you why it's so basic. Because even the devil and the demons believe in God. Did you know that? The Bible says, and they tremble as a result, because they know there's a God. So, this may shock some of your friends when you tell them it's not a big deal just to believe in God. It's bottom rung stuff. It's, but it's a conversation starter. And it's 
one of the first three most important questions you can ask somebody according to Frank Laubach. So that's not getting very far. So his next question was a step up. His next question was, are you acquainted with God? Are you acquainted with God? Now, you and I are acquainted with people with whom we work, right? You spend eight hours a day with people you work with very often, sometimes more. And you get to know things about the folks you work with just because you work with them, like how many kids they have, what they like to eat, what kind of weather they prefer, uh, where they like to vacation, do they have extended family, um, all sorts of things, right? You get to know what they like and what they don't like. So the question he had after the first one is, are you acquainted with God? Like, what do, you, do you know some things about God? Do you know what God likes? Do you know the kinds of things God doesn't like? Do you know some of the stuff that he said? It's a great question. People will scratch their heads. Do you know God as well as you know the people living in your neighborhood down the street? Are you acquainted with God? Not anything more than that. And the third question that Frank thought was the most important takes it all the way to the end. Is God your friend? Or do you love God? Is God your friend or do you love God? Now this third stage is really vital. And the question pops up in people's minds is, well, how is that to be achieved? How does one go about becoming a friend of God or a, a lover of God? And, and I would say, we know how to make friends. This is not anything unusual. It's precisely as any other friendship is achieved. Now, if you went to seminary to get a Master of Divinity degree, it would require 97 semester hours. That's about 16 hours of class per week for three years. That's it. 16 hours of class time per week for three years. That's to be a pastor, for example, or a teacher or something like that. Here's the interesting news. Jesus seems to require a lot more than that just to be a disciple of his, just to be a follower of his. Jesus says, come follow me. He was basically saying that his disciples ought to walk with him. They ought to work alongside of him. They ought to eat with him. They ought to rest with him. They should do this for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For three years, just to start. That's 160 hours a week. 
168 hours. 168 hours of access to Jesus, God in the flesh, talking with him while you walk together, listening to him while you work together, having conversation with him while you, while you ate your food, and then listening to him maybe around the fire at night while you rested. This is what I'm thinking. If you did this, you would probably have God on your mind or on your heart all the time. Wouldn't you? I mean, think about it. If you were living with Jesus, I mean, you actually might find yourself wanting to get away for some alone time away from Jesus. Like that's never happened to anybody here. Like you became a Christian and God seemed never present in your life. And then you're going, okay, can I just have a moment away? Because there's some things I want to do, Jesus, that you probably wouldn't smile about. This is what prayer allows us to do. Prayer allows us to be in contact with God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But, you know, we never really start that way. Usually, we start with what I think is the most basic prayer, which is uh, a four-letter word. Help! Help! This is my most repeated prayer. Help! And then I feel guilty because I'm going, it's a, I'm a pastor, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for... 40-some years and walking with Jesus, and I'm going like, shouldn't my prayer life be more than just those four letters, really? You ever feel guilty about just always coming to Jesus going, oh, God, I need your help again? Well, you know what? Do not fear. Some of the coolest people in the Bible, according to God, started there and stayed there and never left there along with everything else. So we're going to go to... Psalm 5, at the beginning, King David, the prophet David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning I lay my requests before you, and I wait in expectation. When I was a young Christian, I, I, I memorized this verse in a different version of the Bible. But it was in a song, and it went something like this. And I sang it over and over again, and I still sing it. I was singing it this morning. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the cry of my voice, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer. 
unto thee and will abide. So, it's what I do. First thing in the morning, very often, it's Lord, help. Let's look at this prayer really quick, this prayer from this great man of God who is said to be a man after God's own heart. The first thing we notice is that he wants God to hear him because he's in trouble. Consider my sighing. You don't sigh when things are going well, usually. And he knows that God is boss. He knows where to go. My king. My God. And he understands that prayer gets God's attention. He knows that God's going to hear him when he calls. And so he starts talking to God about it right away, first thing in the morning. And here's the great thing. He expects God to do something. But he doesn't know what. He lays his request before God and says, I know you love me. I think you're going to do something, but I don't know how you're going to answer this. So I just lay my requests before you, and I'll wait. I'll wait, and I'll be looking around to see where it is you're going to move. This is square one. I hope this sounds familiar, and I hope this gives you hope that your prayers are not as shallow as you think, or even if they are shallow, it's okay. It's okay to keep asking God for help. God gave us an example in the Bible, but we should keep growing from that point on. Because it appears, if you keep reading, that God would like a continual conversation with us. In John chapter 15, verses 4 and verses 9, Jesus says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must Remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus is telling us to live with him. That, that there's a connection there's a connection like a fruit and a branch. Like you cannot produce fruit if you're not tied into the branch. If you, if you cut the fruit and you disconnect from Jesus before the fruit is ripe, it's going to go bad. That there's a continual flow that Jesus wants from Him to us. And he's saying, you know what, this is what the Trinity does. This is what happens between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a community of the Godhead that keeps going. Like, we live in love. We remain in one another. I want you to remain in me. How do you remain in Jesus? I would say 
It's by continuing the life of prayer that maybe you've just begun digging a little deeper at this past week. Continuing the conversation. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16-18. through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. How can you rejoice always? That is one of those commands that unless you have God's perspective on the things going on in your life, how could you ever rejoice always when things suck? Seriously, how could you do that? There's no way. Unless somehow you were plugged in, you were in sync with the vine. And you could see things from God's perspective, or at least trust Him to wait in expectation that He would do something because He loves you. That there's this sometimes even unspoken prayer language that goes on day in and day out where you live in His love. And pray continually. You're going, is that possible? Can you do that? Can I always have a conversation with God? How is that possible? Wouldn't I get in accidents when I'm driving? Wouldn't I kind of stumble over my words when I'm talking to somebody else? Evidently not. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 says this in the message. And I'm using the message because it says it in a different, different way than we're used to hearing it. And I think it kind of stirs up new ground inside of us. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Jesus Christ comes in and fills you up so much that there's no room for anything else. No worry, no anxiety, no fear, because His presence just pushes it out of every pore. This happens. How? How does this happen? I'm sure you're wondering. You're asking like this... Okay, Mike, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it, you know. don't understand how this works. This continual praying thing, this abiding with Jesus, this, this being connected to the vine, this always being with Him, I don't get it. Well, Frank Laubach was the disciple of Brother Lawrence, as I told you. Brother Lawrence uh, was a monk who lived... 300 and some years ago. He's a Carmelite monk. He's pretty actually humble. I mean, not really famous for anything. Except for the fact that as he got older, people realized he had this relationship with God that just wouldn't quit. 
And so he started getting disciples among the Carmelite monks in his little abbey. And um, some of them started writing down the things that Brother Lawrence would say. And then fill it out with their own commentary. And so we get books like Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Which is, for me, way out there in terms of Christian literature. If you haven't read it, you ought to. This is the kind of thing that Brother Lawrence would say. Men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and they set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of Him? He said, you know what? The church has done... I think he's taking a pot shot at the church. The church has done this amazing job of making it extremely difficult for you to come into God's presence. The truth be told, it really isn't that hard. If you just do everything you would normally do during the day, except holy for the love of Jesus. The issue was not how sacred your task was, but the motivation behind it, you see? It doesn't matter if you're in Scotland serving the inner city poor of Glasgow for a month, giving up your job and your home to go and sleep there. That activity, as wonderful and great as it is, does not necessarily have to bring you closer to God than doing what you normally do during the day. Things like changing diapers, things like picking up trash, things like cleaning pots and pans. It doesn't matter. It's all about your perspective. It's all about the inward conversation, what's going on as you do those things. Now, granted, when you're on a mission trip, you're thinking about God a whole lot more because you're on a mission trip. You're doing this for the Lord. Your whole life can be lived out as a mission trip. Every day can be spent unto the Lord. I'll go on. He says, nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can settle for little things. I turn the pancake that is in the frying pan for love of Jesus. And that done, if there is nothing else to call my attention... I lay myself down and worship before him who has given me the grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. There's always trash out here. I mean, people just throw wrappers and cigarette butts and there's empty booze bottles and all sorts of stuff that's always in the front. And I usually avoid it. I don't want to pick it up. I don't know what kind of germs are on that thing. You know? But what Brother Lawrence is telling me is it can be an act of worship. Jesus. For the love of your people, the church, who call this place spiritual home, 
for the love of the neighborhood and those who don't know you. I'm going to go over here. Lord, help me. Go with me. Use my hands to pick up this piece of trash and throw it away for love of you and what you might do on the earth. Brother Lawrence retreated to a place in his heart. He didn't have to go to a cathedral. Now, granted, he lived in a monastery. He was in church every single day at the Mass. He didn't not go to church because he could find Jesus 24-7. He retreated to a place in his heart where the love of God made every single little tiny detail of his life of immense value eternally. He says, and I quote, I began to live as if there were no one save God and me in the whole world. So together, God and Brother Lawrence cooked meals, went on errands, scrubbed pots, and he endured the scorn of the world because that was his job in the monastery. He worked in the priory, which is the kitchen. He washed the dishes, scrubbed the pots. For a while, I think he fixed the sandals of the monks. That was his job. That's what he did. And by the end of his life, kings and noblemen were coming to find out wisdom on how to conduct their lives from this lowly Carmelite monk. Now, Brother Lawrence admitted that the path to this union with God was not easy. He spent years, and I mean years, disciplining his heart and his mind to yield to God's presence. Because he would say, God is always there. It's a matter of whether I'm going to acknowledge him or not. My tendency is not to acknowledge him. My tendency is to live my life as if he wasn't there. And so he had to discipline his mind to understand that God was there. He says, as often as I could, I placed myself as a worshiper before him, fixing my mind upon his holy presence, recalling it when I found my mind wandering from him. This proved to be the next exercise, frequently painful, Yet I persisted through all the difficulties. In other words, he found himself failing a lot when he tried to keep God in his mind. Professional Christian. Couldn't do it. Easily at first. Had to work at it. Here's the truth. I know a lot of pastors, and a lot of pastors have really sucky prayer lives. They're running on all sorts of gifts that God's given them. But their communion with God is nil. And God is calling them to the same thing he's calling you. And that is to a deeper relationship with himself, one that's 24-7, that never stops. It was only after... Brother Lawrence figured out that being with God was his destiny. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be spending eternity with God. That's the whole point of this Christian thing, is it not? 
is to be in his presence forever and ever? Well, if that's the case, let's start it now. His soul had come to its own home and place of rest. So, Brother Lawrence left us with seven tips for how to practice the presence of God. thought I'd share those with you. Number one, in the spiritual life, not to advance is to retreat. Not to advance is to retreat. There is no standing still. Once you're on this ride, you're on the ride. Or the ride's going on without you. There is no standing still. There is no treading water. We know this from the world we live in. We just take a look at nature. We know this is true. How many people here um, have ever played around in a garden? Raise your hands. All right, lots of you, okay? Now, when does a plant stop growing? Yeah, when you stop watering it and it starts dying, right? Or it freezes out. Plants keep growing until they stop, they start dying. Trees keep growing until they start dying. You know there's something wrong with the tree when it's not putting forth new leaves in the springtime. Here's something even closer to home. When your bodies stop growing, your bodies start dying. Did you know that? You stop replacing cells that are getting worn out as you get older. Gravity starts taking over certain parts of your body because your body just isn't growing anymore. You're losing the battle. You, you, your body starts dying way before you're dead. I, I think you understand this, right? Our spirits, on the other hand, never stop growing if we're connected with Jesus. The Bible tells us that the inward person goes from glory to glory to glory. There's... There's an ever-expanding, even though the outward is deteriorating and going away, the inward is revealing the glory of God. I mean, I'll tell you something. I am better than I used to be. I'm a better person than I was at 25. I really am. I thought it was pretty hot stuff at 25. My wife was lucky to have me as a husband, let me tell you. I was smart I was good-looking. I was wise spiritually beyond my years. I had all sorts of talents. And then I got married. And I found out what a jerk I could be. She made me do things I would never have done normally. Where did those things come from? It wasn't her fault. She just happened to be able, unlike anybody else on the entire world, to make the crap that was inside come out. And I have been refined over the years being married to her. I'm a better person. You know, this is where we are right now. Where it used to be, you know, I didn't even listen to what she said. 
and I didn't care how she received what I had to say. Now, it's not just about my words, it's about my tone. So, I have this continual conversation going on with God in the back of my head as I'm talking to my wife. And the Holy Spirit will let me know, watch your tone. Your volume's starting to come up, Mike. She's not going to take this the right way. I know your heart's right. But she doesn't know that. So, simmer down, Sarahs. I mean, those are the kind of things Jesus tells me. We're working on tone now, right? That is light years ahead of where I used to be. Light years ahead of where I used to be. And I have light years to go. In the spiritual life, if you do not commit to walking with Jesus 24-7, listening to what he has to say to you, because, you know, you're only here for, you know, one day a week, and I only talk for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. So, it's not enough. You need a teacher who's with you all the time. You need to have a continual conversation with Jesus all the time, 24-7. You need to practice the presence of God. Number two, establish yourselves in the presence of God by continually talking to Him. See, here's the wonderful news. Jesus is never tired of hearing you talk. He wants you to talk to Him. Jesus would say, you don't talk to me enough. You want a relationship with me? Talk to me more. Does this sound familiar to anybody? We all know this, don't we? You want a relationship with somebody? You have to interact. Talk. Jesus wants to hear your voice. For some of you, that just stripping the gears right now. Going like, God would never want to know anything I have to say. And that's where I'm telling you, you're absolutely wrong. Ever see parents with newborn babies? Newborn babies make no sense at all when they talk. You guys realize that? And the parents are hanging on every syllable. Just go to Facebook and watch those videos. Drives you crazy. It's four minutes of the kid going, eh, 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 That's it. And the parents think it's the most awesome thing in the world. If parents know how to do that, how much more does God know how to pay attention to every single groan of yours, every single sigh, every single word? He wants to hear from you. Number three, be persistent in your effort to form that habit of talking to him. Don't be surprised at failing often, even in the beginning. In other words, Brother Lawrence is saying this is not easy. You're... you're normal, natural self is not going to want to interact with Jesus on a regular basis. We all know this. You know? You want to gossip about somebody for a while? You want to say some hurtful things about somebody you know to somebody else? Well, just conveniently forget that Jesus is anywhere around listening to everything you have to say. You have to ignore Jesus for a while to gossip about somebody else. You have to ignore Jesus for a while when you want to yell at your spouse, when you want to say unkind things to somebody who's right there in front of you, when you want to cuss them out up and down. 
You have to ignore Jesus for a while when you want to look at the porn sites. You have to ignore Jesus for a while when you want to daydream about the guy who is not your husband. You have to, right? You've got to be consistent in forming the habit. And don't be surprised when you haven't realized you've stopped. And then you all of a sudden you realize it. It's going to happen. It's okay. Just pick it up from there. Frank Laubach had this game based on Brother Lawrence's writings. He called it the game of minutes. And so he would see how many minutes of every hour he could actually spend with his mind still on God, having that conversation somewhere in the back of his head. And so he would look at his watch or look, you know, you would look at your phone and you would go, oh, okay. And so you keep going. And then when you realized you weren't thinking about God, you weren't talking to him in the back of your head, you weren't carrying on a conversation, you weren't bouncing things off the Holy Spirit, you would then look at your watch again, you would go, oh, less than 10 minutes. Okay, let's start again. And he would start again. Called it the game of minutes. He wanted to see if he could ever do it 60 minutes out of an hour. Took him a long time. And then take it on a couple hours at a time. And I'm not talking, I mean, and it's not that hard. I mean, for example, you guys know what it's like to do one thing while thinking another. You can go to work and you can do your job and you can be thinking about all the problems you have with your love life, right? So get the work done. You can sometimes drive to work on autopilot, right? And sometimes autopilot takes over. You don't even want to go home, and all of a sudden you're going home. Because you've got the ability to think about everything else you want to think about and still drive. I want to say that you can talk to God continually in the same way that you can try and form a response to somebody's question even as they're talking to you. Like just a moment ago, I was talking to you all, and I looked down at this iPad and realized I'd gone back to the home screen. And I'm going, Jesus, you got to help me get through this really quick because I'm off my notes. I'm just going to keep talking for a while. Help me get back to that screen really quick. That all happened, and you weren't even aware. Anyway. If you were, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> Four, renounce everything that you know that does not lead to God so that you become accustomed to continual conversation with Him. I mean, you know the things you do that God doesn't like. You know these things. You know what He doesn't like. If I used to get out a piece of paper and a pencil right now and write down, these are the things I do that Jesus does not like. These are the things that make the baby Jesus cry. You could just write them down. <laughs> Give those things up if you want to have a continual conversation with God. 
Number five, ask for his grace regardless of your sins. Offer him your heart from time to time during the day in the midst of your work at every moment if you can. Do not burden yourself with rules or particular devotions, but act with faith, love, and humility. You're going to mess up is what he's saying. You're going to need God's grace. You're going to mess up. You're going to go to the porn site. You're going to look at the girl walking on the street. You're going to judge the woman who's wearing whatever she's wearing and you think she's a hoe. You're going to do all this stuff, right? And you're going to gossip for a while. You're going to, you're going to, and you're going to have to go, uh, I'm sorry, God. Please forgive me for taking my mind off you and actually putting it in the wrong place. Would you... And His grace is always there. This is why Jesus died. Jesus died so that you could be with God, right? Jesus died so you could be with God. So He would never leave you or forsake you. That's why Jesus died. Of course it's okay to call upon that grace when you need it. Jesus died so you could be with God every single moment of every single day, and not just then, but for eternity. Number six, do ordinary tasks entirely for the love of God. Ordinary tasks. Whatever you need to do, do it for God. Make every moment a worshipful moment. It's easy when you're singing songs, right? You're here, and the band's playing, and the words are on the overhead, and you're just singing away, and your mind's on God. But you know what? You can go to the bathroom with God. You can. Some of you are in there so long, we're wondering if you've died and are talking with them continually anyway. <laughs> or you're praying, oh God, please help me to like vegetables more. I need to eat more vegetables. Do ordinary tasks entirely for the love of God. I mean, this doesn't sound even stranger, but you can you can make love to your spouse and make it a prayer at the same time. Some guys are praying. They're praying anyway. They're going, oh, God, help me. Please help me. Help me. Help me, God. Don't let me blow this thing. Please help me. Please. Maybe that's not as hard as I thought it was. Okay. Let's go on. Number seven. I love this. This is almost like Brother Lawrence, tongue-in-cheek. God is nearer to us than we think. One need not cry out very loudly. God is nearer to us than we think. You don't need to shout. He's paying attention. You don't need to make a big scene. Just call on his name. You know, when you fall in love, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool because somebody that we think is awesome pays attention to us. They love us. And, and we can't get them off of our minds. <laughs> you know, you're writing names on notebook paper. You're, you know, thinking about her all the time. You're doing whatever you can do, right? You're in love. 
Conversation's easy. You want to talk all the time. There's, there's three-hour phone conversations. There's five-hour dates. It's like that when you first fall in love with God. It seems like you're thinking about Him all the time. But just as in a romantic relationship, after a while, you've got to start working at it. You know, there needs to be a date night. I don't know how many, how many of you are married, but do you remember that moment when you realized, oh, I actually got to schedule time with my spouse because we just never spend any time together anymore. And if you don't schedule the time together, I mean, you do that long enough and you're headed for divorce. You've got to learn to work at the marriage. And, and, and I want to say that if you're a Christian, it's okay to work at a relationship with God. It's natural. But here's the great part. Whereas in a marriage, you are actually hooked up with another sinner who is going to screw up and make it twice as hard. With God, only one of you is a sinner. So you're always wrong. That makes it easy to figure out who's got to change. But you got to work at it. you got to open yourself up. He's like he's pursuing me. He's a lover. He wants to talk to you. God is ready to go on date nights every single night of the, of the week. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. He's there. He's wedding. We must focus as the romance with God begins to wither. If we are not advancing in our relationships with God, then we are retreating. But remember, God is always advancing toward you. He is love pure. He is love eternal. He'll never push us away even though we are grossly imperfect. And He allows us to continually work being with Him. To, to practice being in His presence. Because that's where we're going to be forever. Let us begin experiencing some of that heaven on earth right now. I asked uh, two folks to come up here and quickly talk about their experiences with God this past week of prayer and fasting. I mean, how that affected their lives, how that changed their relationship with God. Um, so, Katie, would you come up first and uh, talk about that a bit? guys um so yeah i was really excited going into this week um of prayer and fasting i've been part of the group that's been kind of praying and planning for it and um just had a lot of anticipation of what god was going to do both in my life and for scum um and just kind of expected god to do something specific in my life just felt like okay this is an exciting week what are you going to do, God? Like, I know you're going to do something awesome. Um, so I went into it with a plan, as I usually do. I'm very structured and organized. And I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to fast, and uh, I can stick to this, and this is when I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And I uh, felt really good about it for the first part of the week and stuck to my fast the whole week and um, just, but still just kind of felt um, not totally connected with the Lord for some reason. I was praying more than I 
um, had been, and um, I was fasting, and I knew I was doing what I felt like God was asking me to do that week, but I still just felt like, all right, God, my prayers just feel kind of half-hearted, like I'm praying the prayers that are listed each day under the things for scum, and I'm praying things for myself and for other people, and um, but I just didn't feel a connection with the Lord like I had hoped to. Um, yeah, I felt like I had just a lot of ups and downs and talking to a lot of people during the week. It seemed like that was the case for a lot of people as well, that there were a lot of struggles and um, a lot of unexpected kind of hardships. And it was good to be able to connect with people during the week um, in that. And, uh, yeah, I felt encouraged by what God was doing in other people's lives and kind of what he was showing them. But for me, I just didn't feel encouraged. I just kind of felt, all right, God, where are you in this? And what are you going to do? I'm going to keep waiting and expect you to do something. Um, and so I just really felt like something was holding me back. And I felt like, okay, God, I need you to show me what's holding me back from you. And I felt like it's been over the last few months that that's kind of been the case. Like, it feels like there's like a wall up or something that I can't like fully connect with the Lord. And I don't know what that is or God, I need you to show me that. So, um, yeah, so Larry, um, we had a prayer meeting on Friday night, which was awesome, and then a like kind of a praise and worship thing last night, which was great. And um, But I still kind of came with a heavy heart, and Larry asked us towards the end of the night a couple questions that he felt like were from the Lord, and he, he asked us, um, what do we feel like is holding us back from God um, that we need to give back to him? And also, what do we want to receive from the Lord in return? Um, and those two things really struck me. Um, at one point, he said, you know, God is thanking us for our dedication and our discipline of what we did that week. And that really struck me, too. And I, I felt like, okay, God, I did do what you asked me to do, and I'm, I'm receiving your gratitude for that. But what is it that you want me to give back to you, and what do I want from you in return? So I felt like um, the things I needed to give back to him were just um, this overwhelming sense of like stress and anxiety that I experience, and a lot of times that'll just completely shut me down. I feel like I have two modes, kind of either like crazy busy and everyone sees me doing everything around scum, or I'm like holed up in my apartment doing absolutely nothing, like hiding away, and I, it's like one or the other. Um, so I was like, will you please just take that away, take away the distraction, take away... Um, yeah, anything that's holding me back from you, and then replace it with rest in you, because that's what I really need, to rest in all circumstances. Um, and I just really needed his peace. Um, so I felt like I could pray those prayers honestly and give that back to the Lord, give him the, the feelings of being overwhelmed and, and receive from him a peace um, and rest. And um, I felt like he gave me a verse during the week, um, which is Psalm 27.4, and says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, or meditate in his temple. Um, so the thing that just struck me most was just that I wanted God to be um, the number one priority in my life again, that I just kind of wanted to to rededicate myself to him and um, for that to be just the most important thing in my life, the thing that, um, you know, seeking him will set everything else in place. I will know what I'll have to do, asking him what he wants me to do and just striving to be obedient to him again. Um, so I just, 
I don't know. I feel a lot more peaceful. I woke up this morning even and just felt like rested and peaceful and closer to him than I have in the last few months. So I'm really grateful for that and um, just grateful for how God works. And I'm really excited to see what else he has for SCUM um, just because of our dedication to him this prayer and fasting week. Thanks for listening. Kevin McCluskey, come on up. We gonna do this, right? Okay, good. Yes, hi, I'm Kevin. I'm part of Scum of the Earth Church, and I did uh, participate in the week. It was very good. Um, sorry, I decided to get started a little early, not necessarily because I'm really holy, but because I needed to save money, and I decided that calling people to hang out always costs a lot of money, whether I thought it would or not, so I decided to hang out at home, um, and then I got bored quickly, so I decided, well, I guess I'll do it, so I, I would pray, and I, I pride myself on being at least reasonably self-aware, so I didn't have terrible issues I thought I needed to fix or whatever, but... But I wanted to spend more time. I'd been wanting to get away with God, um, have a bit of a quieter tone and do some resetting, which is, is good. Um, so I would pray for things or people I knew. I would just pray for God's glory to, to shine on them and that they could experience him in a, in a special way. Um, and, and as things moved in... Um, Certain words just came to mind that I definitely thought were from the Holy Spirit. Um, and on a more personal way, the, the words were openness and shame. And uh, people people talk to me, people who are maybe on the fringes of our group or, or people I know. Um, and they just told me these terrible things. Um, and, and I was just kind of floored because I thought they had been hiding it really well. And I thought, it, I, thought I knew that much about them. Um, and, and I could tell were things they didn't open up with, so, so I was glad that they got it off. And then I, I also opened up, at least to myself, some, some inner shame. Maybe it's not that terrible, but, uh, you know, I've been fired from quite a lot of jobs over my life, or had others that didn't work out, or investigated me for fraud, so... Uh, we could say I haven't been really expecting to achieve that much... Uh, also, the the place I'm from, I, I just processed it. Just I have a lot of. Sh it's, it's just not a place where people go very far. They actually kind of hate people with college degrees. Um, it's very remote, very, very suspicious. So, so for me to feel like I was one of those condescending assholes has always been this this limbo thing that I live in and don't know what to make of it. Um, so it was nice. It was nice to open those things up and. To think that I could say it to somebody or to myself and that it wasn't a big deal. And I mean, it's not the first time that anything's like that happened in the world. So, uh, you know, why, why stew over it any extra? And then in terms of, of scum of the earth, there were some other words. Actually, some of the same openness and shame also came up, as well as obligation. And uh, by openness, it was really nice. It was nice to see us become more open, to be more dedicated and more systematic. Um, 
to me, to me, I love Scum a lot, but but one of the things that always grinds my gears is that I don't think we're very systematic. I think we we take our standoffish thing a little far, or maybe we need to figure out ways to work around it. Um, well, since I'm up here, I had a junior high music teacher. She would always tell the, the class, can we find our butt with both hands? And she would make you stand up and practice finding your butt with both hands. And, and I just wanted to say that to, to some people sometimes, just like, get over it, just practice some discipline. So I, I love seeing us be more disciplined. It was, I thought it was a beautiful thing to God. I thought it was very sincere. Um, and then in terms of shame and obligation for scum, I think we need them in a, but in a good way. And that can only be in a good way if we accept it. But uh, at the progerian meeting, Mike asked us to think about, you know, all these people who used to come to scum and then fade away. And do we do, we do wrong? I'm not sure that, that scum's done wrong, but... I could tell you one thing, if, if this was just a social club, if it was the VS, VFW or the Sons of Italy or a biker gang, there would be obligation, we would pay dues, we would have duties. And a church is different, but, but hopefully upon ourselves, I hope we'll dig a little deeper. And like I said, when I was fasting to save money, my giving sucked, so hopefully it'll be better. And then the same with shame, I, I hope that we would change our conversation, change our feelings, feel a little shame when it's appropriate. I, I think that would be all right. Um, I don't want to give anyone a guilt trip. If you just walked in the door for the first time not knowing anybody or what to expect, I'm not trying to guilt you already. But uh, yeah, those, those were some thoughts, and I, I very much felt they were from the Holy Spirit. And that's about it. If you disagree with me, you should probably tell me. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, and I look forward to whatever is next. I hope that there will be more deepening of this. All right. This is close with prayer. Lord God, I ask that you would make us a folk uh, who would be deep, that you would deepen our walks with, with you by uh, being present with you 24-7. Uh, let us be known as a place that while it only may be a few inches wide, it's a mile deep. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>